0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, hope in the midst of suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing.
1: you join with me as we pray today? Let's pray together. Gracious God, I thank You so much so we can gather today, whether we're online or in the room, that there are men in this room right now who they could have been having brunch or breakfast in bed, but they've chosen to prioritise You because God, You are worthy to be prioritised. you, You are worthy to be worshipped. And so I thank You not only for the men in this room who have rocked up today, but we thank You that we have a God worthy to be praised. And as we come before Your Word, Would You still our hearts to hear Your voice? Would You be shaped and formed and moulded in Your image? Less of me and more like You. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, we've got the youth in the room today. Can we have a round of applause for the teenagers who are staying in today? Some of you teenagers are like, Ah, oh, it's Father's Day, I was hoping for give my dad a break from me. Now he wants you to sit next to him and remind him the whole way through the sermon to listen. Just nudge him if he looks like he's nodding off at any stage. Friends, um, we want to like step back into our series of 1 Peter. And to do that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the state of Christianity in the West. The state of Christianity in the West. And it's actually pertinent that the youth are in the room today because what we're about to talk is the future of the church that you're about to inherit. If you're a teenager, this matters to you because your parents are laying a foundation for the church and faith that you will one day lead. Thank you for being with us. For the rest of you there is a stark reality we need to come to face with. In 2021, the census data was released. Uh, we had census a year later than usual because of COVID. 2021, we ran census and census data came out and told us that Christianity as a religion makes up 43% of the Australian economy, not the economy, sorry, that's the wrong word, of the Australian landscape. And that the other the other percentage is made up of a bunch of other religions. Now we're still the majority faith of Australia. But we also found out that 38.5% of Australians now declare no religion at all. Now, that's a stark reality when you go back just five years earlier, 2016, when it was 52% of Australians identified as Christians and 30% of Australians identified as no religion. And it's actually been that way for years. There is a trajectory of Christianity in this nation which tells us that if the trajectory continues by the next census, which is in two years' time, by the next census, that Christianity will be a minority faith in Australia. Christianity in our lifetime will be a minority faith. We have never, there is no generation in this room that grew up in Australia that has ever known a nation that they've lived in where Christianity has been a minority faith in Australia. It's the stark reality we encounter today. And yet the, the problem with it is, is that we can actually be deceived by groups that we're in. Even this church, we can look around and go, there are hundreds of people here. There are hundreds of people joining us online this morning. And we can fall into the deception of like, well, it seems like things are going pretty well. This is rare in our nation. Churches are on the decline. And the problem is, is that most commentators and theologians seem to think that the church is unable to recognise it. One theologian says that the church is a little bit as, it's almost as if that the cleaners have left the building, the security guards have turned out the lights and locked the doors, and the wrecking ball waits outside for tomorrow's demolition work. But even so, a few men and women in purple shirts still huddle together in the dark stalls, chatting excitedly about all the great operas that they're going to one day sing on the stage. A man named David Mills wrote that as a kind of stark reality of what it looks like for Christians to be unaware of the trajectory of faith in our nation. I say this today because, hey, happy Father's Day. What an encouraging way to start the message. But because we have an opportunity before us as much as we have a threat. We have to ask this question in our time. How do we live? How do we live in a nation where Christian morality is no longer assumed? How do we live in a nation where we're not convinced or sure that religious freedom will continue? What do we do when we're not even in control or aware of the educational freedoms that our children are going to grow up under? What do we do as Christians? We've never faced this before. Or have we? And that's where the beauty of God's Word comes in. Because in the book of 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter writes to the church in Asia Minor, who are a minority, who have no religious freedom, friends. We are not persecuted in this country, just letting you know this is not persecution, but they were persecuted, they were facing death and punishment for following Jesus. And Peter writes this letter that we're exploring today to a church who knows the reality of where we may one day step into. Friends, God is not in fear of what is happening in our nation, He is still in control. But we must be aware that we might live faithfully in it. A couple of years ago, I was uh, planning a church in Brisbane and I had the privilege of being uh, interviewed on the ABC by a lady named Rebecca Livingston. And uh, she did the morning show, breakfast show in Brisbane. And she heard that I was planning a church in, Sarah and I were planning in Brisbane City. So she said, hey, we'd love to have you in um, to have a conversation. I'm like, oh, that'd be great. I didn't really know why the ABC wanted to hear about church plants. She says, oh, we just want to ask a basic question. Why the hell would you plant a church in this day and age? And she was like saying it with a smirk. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great interview. It's just like really scary. So she rang up and uh, we organised the time. But then I found out I couldn't do that time. And so I rang them back and we reorganised. It's really important because they didn't plan this. We all reorganised the time when I could come in for the interview. And I remember driving into the ABC studios in South Bank and I turned on the ABC radio to hear that the ABC breakfast show was live crossing to the live sentencing of Cardinal George Pell. And so I'm about to walk into an interview where they're crossing back and forth between the life sentencing of Cardinal George Pell and they're going to chuck a conversation at church planting in the middle of that. And I just start shaking. I'm like, God, what are we going to do? Like, and it was, it, was, it was heavy. It was hectic. It was, it, was a, it was a massive time for our nation. And there was this moment where I remember this juxtaposition of how the world sees the, the faith and the church and the institution of the church being compared to this new fledgling thing that my wife and I were trying to do in Brisbane, we're like, we don't even know if this thing's going to work. Don't hate us before we've even begun. And she asked me this question. She said, "Why would you plant a church when, actually, all the statistics tell us that people are leaving Christianity and the church in droves?" And I thought, man, that's a good question. I just remember the Holy Spirit inspired just this thought. I said, "I actually don't think Christianity is on the decline. I think nominal Christianity is on the decline." I think Easter and, Christi- and Christmas Christianity is on the decline. Christianity as a convenient option is on the decline. But I say I think what you're going to see is people who are followers of Jesus, that's going to grow. But there's going to be a whittling away of people who are only Christians because it's comfortable, because it's easy. And this, this hope came into my heart again of going, I don't believe the narrative is that Christianity is on the way out. I believe discipleship is about to get real. Following Jesus is gonna be important. Teenagers in your time, your generation is going to show a world or need to show a world what it means to follow Jesus when 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 it's no longer convenient or comfortable to wake up on Sunday mornings or rock out your faith or follow Jesus amidst the social pressure of our age. And my hope and my prayer is that we would gain encouragement from the book of 1 Peter. This is why when Stu came and spoke last week, it was so powerful when he said, God has given you an identity. He's given you a tribe. He's given you a purpose. And it was a great message. Go back and listen to it. But, but the only issue with that message is sometimes we've got to contextualise it well because the new identity we have doesn't make sense to the world. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, a chosen generation, God's special possession. There is no workplace in Australia that's secular. If you walked in and they said, hey, you know, how are you? And and why are you a Christian? Because I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. God's special possession. No one's going to be like, awesome. That doesn't sound like a cult, right? So how do we live? That stuff's true, but it's not easily understood. And see, I believe God writes to the early church and says, hey, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, his chosen generation. But now let me tell you what it looks like to live in the world. And today I want to answer the question or we'll begin to, part two will be next week. What does it mean to live a beautiful life that leads people to glorify God? There are three things I want to leave you with today. The first one is this. In fact, let me go to our scripture before we get there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. Peter writes this this church that is in persecuted, a church that is in a minority, a church where it's no, they don't have youth ministries on Friday nights before their teenagers, where they're going underground with their faith. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Today, there are three things I believe God wants me to share with you. The first one is this. This is not your home. So be careful that you may live a beautiful life. Everyone say it with me. This is not your home. Be careful that you may live a beautiful life. And I say this today because I believe it's what Peter's telling us. He begins his passage and he uses this word. He says, beloved, beloved. Now, if you were, uh, if you're reading the NIV translation or other translations, it might say, dear friends. But some translations uh, use the word beloved. Because the word in Greek that, Peter, that Peter's actually using here is agapetos. And agapetos is a derivative of the word Agape. And when he writes to the church, and this is just a side, it's not even the main main idea today, but it just gripped me when he tells them, okay, let me tell you the future you're about to step into. Let me tell you the reality. The first thing he tells them is like, hey, before anything else, beloved. What's he telling them? The midst of the pain and the suffering you're walking through, you are loved. You know, the other time when when someone was called beloved was in Matthew chapter three. Does anyone remember what happened? When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water. What did God say? This is my beloved son and I am well pleased with him. And the beautiful truth today, friends, is that there is a, there's a hope we have that if you are in Christ right now, whatever you've done, wherever you are, whether you feel it or not, let me tell you, God looks at you and he says, you are my beloved. Would you be loved by me today? And there's somebody in this room right now that has forgotten the love of God that has forgotten the overwhelming power of God's love to comfort you and hold you when you can't hold on to Him. And the word He would give you today is not do better, try harder, but you are my beloved. One of my heroes, Henry Nouwen, says this, every time you feel hurt, offended or rejected, you have to stare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God. Precious in God's eyes, called the Beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting embrace. There's a whole sermon series we could do on just that word alone. But today I want to keep moving. But first, you are God's Beloved. And when Peter writes a challenging word to the church in Asia Minor, he says, Beloved, listen in. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He seems to go from, you are well loved. But now let me tell you what your status is in the world. You're a sojourner or an exile. Now this word sojourner is not one, I mean, when was the last time you heard someone say, hey, that guy looks like a sojourner. We don't hear that word a lot. If you read different translations, some of them might say foreigners and exiles. Other translations might say the word aliens and exiles. Now, what is Peter saying here? A couple of years ago, when I, back in 99, I had the privilege to go to America. I don't think it's this way anymore. Um, but back when I travelled to America, there was this moment when you go through customs in America. Going through customs in America is like going through customs in no other country in the world. It is, it is an experience. You go to Australia and it's really quite simple. They have two signs. They say Australian passport holders and non-Australian passport holders. It's like, oh yeah, great. I have an Australian passport or you don't have an Australian passport. Formed a line. Not so much in America. In America, when you've gone through customs, it says American citizens. It's almost like, you know, they've got bands welcoming people home. Everyone's high-fiving each other. We're like, yeah, the land of the free, home of the brave. And then over here on the other side, American citizens, we have this one word, aliens. Legit. Does anyone else remember this when you used to travel to America? Aliens. So it's like you're either an American citizen or you're an extraterrestrial. What were they saying there? They're ultimately saying this. Hey, these people over here, this is your home. Welcome back. Isn't it great to be here? These people over here, they're saying, welcome to our home. This is not your home though. Don't you come here illegally, right? Like there's like this sense where it's like, that's, they're, they're very clear about in and out, which makes it even more interesting that that's the language that Peter uses. What does he say to the church in suffering, in pain, as a minority? Does he go, guys, you, it's going to be okay. Everything's fine. He goes, let me urge you as aliens and exiles. So like, oh, steady there, Peter, you look like an alien. I'm not an alien. What is that about? Peter's actually offering them a hope. If to have the word alien over the sign means that America is not your home, what is he telling the church? Where you are right now. This is not your home. This is not your home. Now, some of us in this room, we're like, Michael, this is not as comforting as you think it is. Why, Why is this a good thing? Think about what they're walking through. Pain. Oppression. Persecution. Suffering. And what does Peter say? Let me give you some good news. If you're not comfortable... If life's not going the way you want it to, it's okay. This is not your home. You're living in a foreign land. Was He telling people in Asia Minor to come back to Jerusalem? No, 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 come back to Rome. No, it's not about a geographic location. It's about a spiritual reality. What's He just done? Pastor Stu last week preached a phenomenal message where He told us we have a new identity, royal priesthood. But what does He also tell us? You are a holy nation. In verse 10, straight after that, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people, which means what? Friends, if you're not a Christian today, or if you are a Christian, let me tell you, tell us all what happens at the moment of salvation. You go from being someone that is identified by your race, by your gender, by your class, and by your status, to now having a superseded identity that trumps your race, that trumps your gender, that trumps your status and your background. Your new identity supersedes it and that new identity is you are a son and daughter of God, a holy nation, God's special possession, God's royal priesthood. You're part of a new kingdom, which means you're a citizen of a new heaven. And it's so important for us because we place our identity in oh, I'm from South Africa, I'm from New Zealand. I met some people from Tasmania. Welcome to the Promised Land this morning. And it's like there's, I'm from the sunny coast, or or you know I, I grew up in this kind of a school, and we put our identity in things that God says no no no. What did Paul say? throughout the New Testament, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free. He's not saying those things don't matter. He's saying they're no longer primary. That friends, we are part of a new kingdom, which means that until that new kingdom is fully realised, we are not yet home. And it's comforting, why? Because if we're not comfortable, if things aren't okay, it's not the end of the story. We've been living in the privilege of Christian culture, which has hidden a weak discipleship and apathetic following of Jesus for too long. But what we're now seeing is the recognition this world is not our home, but we're called to live in it. And this is the narrative of the Israelite nation. If you look back, that word exile is so important. It begins back in Genesis chapter three. What happens? Adam and Eve chilling out together at home with God in loving and trusting relationship with Him. It's amazing. But then what happens? They break their trusting, loving relationship. So what what do they become? They are exiled from the Garden of Eden. They have to leave home. They are exiled out of the Garden of Eden. So they now become exiles, living as a foreign people in a foreign land. So what does God now do? He continues to redeem the story. In Egypt, He takes the Israelites out of Egypt, says, I'm gonna take you to your promised land, your home. And they're in that home and things are going okay for a bit. But what happens? They sin, they fall short. They, they cut off relationship with God. And so what happens is that the Persian Empire, the Babylonians come along, they take over Israel and they take a bunch of the Israelites as exiles back to Babylon. It's the repeated cycle of the Old Testament from being at home to exile, home to exile. And so what ends up happening is that most of the Old Testament ends up actually being written by faithful men and women of God in exile, away from home. And this is comforting why. What Peter is saying to them is this. Friends, you may look at your world right now and it may not feel comfortable. It may not feel like everything is okay. That is the story of God's people that we might long for a better kingdom, a better hope and a better future. Can I tell you who this will actually be comforting for today? There are some people in this room right now who are walking through abject suffering, pain. This isn't good news to someone that just bought a Tesla yesterday and things are going really well in their life. Like their investments are going good. Nothing wrong with Tesla, shout out to you. Thanks for caring about batteries. But there's like, there's, like this moment where like those people who understand this are those who are actually really struggling. And when someone goes, this is not your home, they're going to go, thank God. I don't want to stay here. Because we all know what it's like to not be at home, right? I don't know about you, but for me, it's all the intimate things when I travel. I'm a worse aware that I'm not home when I hop into bed at night because the bed's not fluffed right. I don't know what the word is. Fluffed is the best way I can come up. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like this, this spring isn't in the right place. Or like for me, it's the toilet seat. I don't know what it is, but there's something really lovely when you get to go home and use your own toilet seat. Don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. Every service, people are like, not laughing at that, pastor. I'm not asking you to laugh. I'm asking you to amen. Amen. When I get home from a long trip, what do you do? It's the toilet. And you're like, this is how it should be. This way, the toilet, people like that, shower. And I highlight this because I think many of you are experiencing the fact that this world's not your home because the toilet seat doesn't feel right not the proverbial proverbial toilet seat. You look in the world and what's going on right now? The Maui fires, tragic. Some people have gone and seen sounds of freedom being awoken to the idea of child trafficking in our world. Like there's horrors happening in our world around us. And if we were to say, isn't it great? You're at home. This is the way things are meant to be. You'd be like, no, it shouldn't be. This is good news, friends. This is not our home. This is not the way that God wanted it to be so we can hold to that truth. But here's the other thing. Let's stop chasing comfort, trying to make our lives feel better that we'd be satisfied where we are when we're meant to long for a kingdom that hasn't yet been fully realised. This is why C.S. Lewis, he writes this. It's beautiful thing. He says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So as Christianity becomes a minority faith in this nation, we can hold on to the truth Well, we were never making our home here. Alistair Begg goes on, he says this, Christians are increasingly going to be seen as different and not in a good way. We are increasingly going to have to choose between obedience and comfort. The next decades will not bring apathy to the gospel, but antagonism. He goes on to say this, but God's kingdom is unsmashable and it has an embassy in your neighbourhood that we call the church. When you're overseas, why do you go to an embassy? Because you want to see people from home. You want to see people that know your language, speak your accent, can help you with your visa or your passport, can understand your culture so that you can go back out into the world that is not your home and live as a called out people. Friends, when we don't rock up a church, we forget what home sounds like. We forget the accent, we forget the grace, the mercy, and the compassion, and we begin to look like the rest of the world. So, how should we live if this is not our home? Well, Paul goes, not Paul, we talk about Paul a lot, but Peter, it's Peter. Peter goes on to write this abstain, he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And and this word abstain is really important. When the Jewish people were in exile, there were two kinds of people. When they were in Babylon, there was this one kind of group over here who were like, we hate Babylon and everything they've done to us. They killed our families. They robbed our childhoods. So we're gonna fight. We're gonna be aggressive against Babylon. And then there were these Israelites in Babylon back in the Old Testament who were the other side. They were sycophants of, of Babylon. They were like, we love Babylon. These guys are really great. They're really powerful. They beat us. So they must be good. Let's join them. Let's worship their gods, take on their culture and do whatever they do. Two polar opposites. Abject loyalty or abject aggression. And, and, and the problem what, what Peter's writing here is he's saying there's a danger, friends, when you don't realise this is not your home, you begin to become loyal to the culture that you're in and you become like the culture you're in. Which means that we say more people more like Jesus, but actually, if we're honest, it's more people more like the Gold Coast. More people more like Instagram. More people more like whatever image we have in front of ourselves in this moment. And Peter's saying the reason this is, is because the desires of your flesh, the passions of your flesh are most easily, the most easily fed by the things the world offers you. Immediate sex, immediate satisfaction of our greed, our ambitions, our need for power. The world offers it to us goes, yeah, we can make this so easily. We satiate our hunger, feeding off junk food, but like, we all know about junk food, is that it does have an effect that lasts for a long period of time, even though we don't see it immediately. So Peter's saying, be careful of that. Friends, there are some of you in, our, in this room today or online, that for too long, you've allowed culture to shape you. And if I were to ask you, do you look more like Jesus or the culture? It'd probably be the culture. Because we've signed ourselves away to Babylon. Babylon. People are like, I've never been to Babylon. Where's that? It's, it's a biblical motif for the powers of this world that seek to squash out our religion and our faith in Jesus Christ by offering us money, greed, power, sex, and anything our hearts desires as long as we forget about Jesus. And Peter writes, he goes, guys, don't forsake your inheritance by being so easily satiated. A good friend of mine, C.S. Lewis, goes on and he says this, It would seem, that was a a bad joke. C.S. Lewis is not a good friend of mine. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Some of you here today, And the truth is, you're just far too easily pleased. But you're eternally thirsty. And you're hungry. And you keep eating at the buffet of the culture around us, wondering why you keep having to return and return and return because you're never satiated, you're never full. It's because it's feeding you things that can never satisfy. Young person, social media is telling you to long to become someone God never created you to be. But we can say it to young people and then us as middle ages, us as middle ages, and the elderly spend half of our life on Facebook scrolling. Longing for acceptance. Longing to find home in a world not our own. Friends, this is not your home. But are the things of your life that God's saying, I need you to take a step back from that, abstain from that. Why? Because there's a war going on for your soul right now. There's a war going on for your soul right now, young person. Mom and dad, there's a war going on for your soul right now. Whoever you are, there's a war for your soul. And it's all about us being awake enough to go, I don't sign my life away to become like Babylon. I wanna become like Jesus. What are you taking a step back from that you take a step into discipleship with Christ? Then and then Peter finishes it like this. He says in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is a good translation, but the NIV actually goes a bit further. It translates it like this. It says, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they they accuse you of wrongdoing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits. That word good lives in Greek is actually kalos. And kalos means beautiful. What's Peter saying? Live beautiful lives. Live lives of such beauty that they look at you and go, how come it all works out for you and you don't follow our formula? Why is that the case? It doesn't make sense. See friends, there are two ways to live in a world. There's this way to live over here as like an aggressive Christian that's like, I'm not taking part in anything. You know, we talk to our kids don't talk to Johnny, because we all know Johnny goes home and watches Harry Potter and there's no Harry Potter in our household, right? And like we live as these like aggressive like Christians. I realise people aren't laughing at that joke and that's probably because we're actually having those conversations at the moment. I'm not, anyway, I'm just saying like we have this aggressive thing. Like in the 90s, I don't know if you remember this, I was like three, but in the 90s where we all like went and burnt our non-Christian CDs. Do you remember that? I'm not sure that was Jesus. I think there was this like, let's create these holy communes Of free from the world that is totally unrelatable by anybody outside of our friendship groups. But the other side we have is this like, you know, complete asceticism and loyalty where it's like, well, listen, I know the Bible says this, but really we need to update our morals with culture. Like we need to get with the times. That's loyalty to Babylon over here. And there's a third way, third way that Peter's talking about here is like, live a beautiful life. Not of like these like, you know, pseudo weird Christians, which is totally okay if your kids don't watch Harry Potter. It's not what I'm saying. But where we're like, we're only talking to people and with people that have our morals and values. We're not talking to anyone else. No. But also not these Christians over here who are like, well, we're just gonna become like everyone else. Now the third way is the way of blessing. It's been the way that God called the Israelites to in the book of Exodus and time and time again, all the way through the Old Testament, saying bless other nations. Are you a blessing to the people around you? When the people were living in exile, the prophet Jeremiah wrote to them and he says this. It'll be in Jeremiah chapter 29, the unknown verses of chapter 29 that we never memorized. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty said, the God of Israel. Say to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And he finishes, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you prosper. Just hear this. The Israelite people were violently taken away from their homes and were subjugated into exile in Babylon. What does God say? Bless the city. Bless it because I can use you no matter where you are, what you're walking through, I can use you. We see this in the life of Daniel, a young man, a whole book in the Bible dedicated to him, taken as part of the exile into Babylon. He becomes an advisor to the king. He's elevated to a place of position where people are like, well, he could have assassinated the king. No, that's over here. Oh, maybe, well, maybe he could have used his position to gain authority and power. No, that's over here. What does Daniel do? Well, Daniel dresses like the Babylonians, but doesn't worship like the Babylonians. He refuses to eat meat offered to idols, but he becomes the best advisor in the king's court that he can be. We find out his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, or affectionately Shakrach and Benny, right? They rock up and they too take on that stance. And what happens? The empire is changed because as they are persecuted for praying and for not worshipping their gods, and they find that their God blesses them and protects them, the whole empire turns around and goes, we've seen your good deeds. Even though we accuse you of evil, so now we shall follow your King. Friends, you are positioned in a workplace right now that may be very dark and doesn't know Jesus. Bless it. With love, with grace, with goodness. If your tea room is filled with isolation and politics, bake cupcakes and hand them out. You're like, oh, I don't think that's what God's, bless it. You're rocking up to kids games on weekends. Bless the parents that you walk alongside. Don't isolate your children from non-Christians. Show them what it means to walk faithfully in a culture where we will be a minority for the King of Kings. This is what Jesus did, the greatest exile of all. He left His home where He was comfortable, where He was honoured, where He was glorified. And he came to a people not his own in a religion that looked nothing like he wanted it to in a system that he had no power in. And what did he do? Did he go and stab Caesar? No. Did he go and become like the Romans and the Jews? No. What did he do? He said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give unto God what is God's. He challenged the culture by blessing Samaritans, Romans, Jews, and even Pharisees alike. Why? Because he came to speak truth, but also be a blessing. This is not your home, friends. So live carefully. Live carefully that we might have beautiful lives. Why? That the world might look at us and go, wow, those people, they're so broken, but they know it. They've got sin, but they know it. But they've got a King that seems to work with and through them as they live differently. I want to know that, God. My wife, we had a midwife come around to our house this last couple of weeks, a great lady, really, really helpful. She was a non-Christian. And we told her I was a pastor and she's driving on sites. So you know, she's like, why do you live at a church? I was like, I don't know. They just invited me here. And, and, and we're just telling her about our faith. And, um, and she said, are you guys doing okay with everything? We're like, oh, we've got heaps of meals and people, you dropped off so much stuff to help us out. She's like, you know, you only see this in Christian community. She's like, you know, non-Christians don't have this amount of support. That's not true of all non-Christians. I know we've all got examples, but I thought two things. Number one, what a great witness to her, but also what a blight on us that there are non-Christians in our world that, aren't being supported right now through a really vulnerable moment of having a new child. And what an opportunity for us. There are fathers today in your workplace that today's not good news for them and they don't know their father in heaven. What will your conversation be with them tomorrow? There are families in your world right now struggling. There are systems, there are workplaces, there are bosses in your world that oppress and, and persecute and offer this really bad form of leadership. And my question to you would be, read the Bible, go study Daniel, go study Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Go and look at these people who choose to be blessings in moments of hardship that we might live faithfully in the way of Christ. You have been saved to be sent to be a blessing. May we, no, this is not our home, live carefully. And finally, friends, May we live beautifully. The glory of God.
0: Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.